Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes to see Jesus, that you will open our ears to hear his word, and that you will open our hearts to respond. Amen. So, some of you with good memories, and those who've been coming to St Luke's for quite a while, might remember back to when we were earlier in this series on John's Gospel. It seems to have been going on a long time, I know, and it's a long time to go, but we talked about signs. I don't know whether you remember that. When we think about the extraordinary works that Jesus did, we call them miracles, don't we? Because, of course, they were miraculous. But John calls them signs because he thinks of them as indications of the nature and person and mission of Jesus. A sign points us to something and we're meant to act on it, to look to where the sign is leading us. Now John says he was very particular in his choice of signs, the choice of the material that he put into his gospel The last sentence of the gospel says that if everything Jesus said and did were written down, then the whole world wouldn't contain the books that could be read. But John himself has chosen specifically things to put into his gospel as signs. And Matt told us last week what the basis for his choice was. He said that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ And that by believing you might have life in his name. So despite the big hint in the reading that we've just had, can you remember what the sign was that we started looking at last week? There was a very big hint. In fact, it more or less told you. And if you remember, can you remember the poor little boy stood at the front who was desperately hoping that he wasn't going to have something disgusting smeared on his eyes. And his relief and ours when Matt provided something a little more hygienic instead. Yes, it was, of course, it was the man who had been born blind. Jesus healed him of blindness by spitting into some and making mud with the dust of the ground and smearing it on his eyes and telling him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He did, and he saw. So we're in chapter 9 now, and later on in chapter 9, and along with the man's neighbours, we've marvelled at the healing of this man born blind. I do wish we knew his name. We don't. It would be a lot easier to refer to him by name, but there we go. But now John is going to make absolutely sure that we understand the significance of this sign as he carries on with the story. And he shows us a parallel restoring of sight and the contrasting attitude of some who are determined to keep their eyes shut. So the rest of the chapter is taken up with four interviews. The first is when the neighbours of the man who's been healed are trying to understand what's going on. He's told them that The man called Jesus has told them what he did. And so they take him to the religious authorities for a comment. So the Pharisees begin their investigation by asking the man to tell them what happened. 
So he does in very simple terms. The mud, the washing, now I see. Oh, the power of a simple personal testimony. Just tell people what you know, what we could learn from that. But the Pharisees immediately start to take positions on this. I expect they've already got opinions about Jesus from what they've already seen and heard of his, his doings. Some are worried about their positions. He challenges their authority. He challenges their positions and he challenges the way they think. Some are prepared to see a miracle from God, but most, it seems, want to denounce Jesus as a sinner, someone who's overstepped the mark, so can't possibly be from God. The thing is, this was on a Sabbath, and the laws about the Sabbath have become very complicated by this time. In fact, they still are today. Some Jews still won't even switch on a light in case on the Sabbath in case of contravening God's command to do no work on the Sabbath. So here, Jesus has broken at least three of their rules, the rules that the Pharisees have for the Sabbath. Healing, obviously, that's against the law. Needing, because you're not allowed to need and to make the mud he had to knead the, yeah, well, there we go. That was against the law. And applying salve to the eyes, anointing the eyes, that was against the law on the Sabbath as well. All these things were seen as work. Can't do it. So if they think like that, they can't reconcile their beliefs with what they see has happened. So they won't see. Notice I said their rules. They make these rules and then they condemn Jesus for breaking them. Did God ever tell them they couldn't heal on the Sabbath? And on other occasions, Jesus has healed on the Sabbath and he tells them that they've misunderstood the point about the Sabbath. The point is to honour God, not to follow a list of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts. But as they are, they can't sort it out. So they asked the man for his opinion on Jesus. A prophet, he says. Perhaps that's the best you could think of at the time, but it's, it's a move forward from the man called Jesus. Doesn't help the Pharisees in their outlook, of course, so they try a different tack. Perhaps it wasn't a miracle after all. Perhaps he wasn't really blind. That would explain it nicely. So, interview two brings in the man's parents, who unfortunately for the Pharisees confirm that yes, this is their son, and yes, he was born blind. But they're not prepared to go any further. They're frightened of the consequences of being ejected from the synagogue. So they refer the matter back to their son. He's old enough, he can speak for himself. Now, being expelled from the synagogue doesn't sound too bad for us, does it? But um, for them, it will probably have meant complete social isolation. If you're expelled from the synagogue, nobody wants to know you. You probably don't get any job opportunities. Maybe the shops don't even take your custom. 
So it's a big deal here, and the Pharisees hold all the cards. So, no nearer the truth they want to hear, they go back to the man for interview three. And now they're going to try and get him to denounce Jesus. Give glory to God, they say, meaning tell the truth. Give us some reason to denounce Jesus as a sinner. So, the man goes through it all again. Only this time he's beginning to get a bit fed up. Which is not surprising if you think about it, because let's face it, he's had one heck of a day so far, hasn't he? Can you imagine the shock of being able to see for the first time ever in your life? Of receiving a new sense completely, trying to make sense of all the information that a new sense is supplying. And then having all these religious bods saying, rubbish, rubbish. I wouldn't have been surprised if he did have a headache by this time. But he seems to manage the situation very well, even gaining in confidence as he goes along. And he starts to turn the argument around, back onto the Pharisees. You want to hear it again? Perhaps you want to be his disciples as well. And of course, that doesn't go down too well with the Pharisees. They're not used to having their authority questioned, and especially by a blind beggar. The only thing they can think of now to respond is to start abusing him as a disciple of Jesus. But this only seems to give him even more confidence. And he displays a remarkably cool head in the situation. A bit of sarcasm creeping in now, using their own arguments to prove his point. You say, this man couldn't do this act if he was a sinner. But, the man says, he opened my eyes. And he finishes up. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Which was the Pharisee's point in the first place? By this time, the Pharisees have lost the plot and resort to anger and, well, the worst abuse they can possibly think of. A sure sign that they've lost the argument as well. And they do throw him out. They expel him just as the parents had feared. But I do wonder if, as a blind man, he'd already experienced a certain amount of rejection and isolation and exclusion anyway. Perhaps it wasn't such a threat to him. And he doesn't seem too bothered about it. But as the authorities reject the man... So Jesus seeks him out and gently brings him to faith. It's probable that, well, as far as we know, the man hadn't actually seen Jesus up till now. He's not met Jesus since the mud went on his eyes and he had to go off and wash. But now he actually sees Jesus. Jesus explains who he is and he declares his belief in him. Lord, I believe. And he moves from darkness to light, spiritually as well as physically. In worshipping Jesus, he's given, giving him the reverence and the honour due to God only. But the Pharisees still don't get it, maintaining that they do have spiritual sight, when actually they don't see what's right in front of their eyes. 
and they're the ones supposedly leading the people towards God. Talk about the blind leading the blind. So, what does John want us to see through this story? And what will God say to us? I was just interested, I hadn't really looked at the Acts chat passage because, of course, that we're talking about John and the Acts thing was just today's reading. But the Acts thing was about the one of my favourite people in the New Testament, Tabitha or Dorcas. And you know why she's favourite? She's a dressmaker. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, is there? What's, what's not to love? But Tabitha died, Dorcas. I don't know if you remember, if you've been dressmaking for a long time, you might remember the little blue tins of dressmaker's pins. They were called Dorcas pins, and there was a little picture of a lady on the front who was supposed to be Dorcas. But she died, and when Peter went to see her, and he told her to get up, what was the sign of life? You can't remember, can you? No, well, I'll tell you. She opened her eyes. That was the sign that life had returned to Tabitha or Dorcas. But what will God say to us about this passage in John? As we've already seen, John wants us to believe in Jesus as Christ, the one sent from God, and that through believing we might have life in his name. Did you notice the lovely journey of faith that the man born blind took throughout this passage? His faith seems to grow in the story. When his neighbours asked him what happened, he referred to Jesus as the man called Jesus. When he's asked by the Pharisees about Jesus, he's moved on. He's going to call him a prophet a special person, someone special. Then in the third interview, he's progressed again. He calls himself a disciple of Jesus. And later on, he declares that Jesus must be from God. And finally, at least as far as this story goes that we've got here, he acknowledges Jesus as Lord and worships him as God. Well, that's the parallel story I mentioned earlier about moving from blindness to sight, from darkness to light. Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus who came into the world to banish the darkness of sin through his death on the cross and rising to life, life which is ours only through faith in him. Where are you on that journey? Are you ready for the next step? If you want to know more about Jesus, we do have what-if courses in this church and there will be another one coming along in the not-too-distant future. Ask Matt about it or keep your eye open for the news. It's an opportunity to learn more about Jesus in a, a non-threatening situation and environment. As I said earlier, I hope that all our environments are non-threatening. I, I would hate anyone to feel threatened by coming into our church for anything, but this is a good opportunity where you can discuss questions that you have about faith and learn more about Jesus. 
listen out for the next one. And then we've got that Bible course coming up this week, which will give you perhaps an overview of what the Bible says. And then, just in case you felt you'd already got there and that, you know, lots of us have already trusted Jesus and know that we've moved from darkness to light, well, let's not get too complacent. The Pharisees thought they could see when they couldn't. In fact, they refused to see what was in front of them because of preconceived ideas about God and faith. How often lately we've seen those who insist that their views are correct when they are obviously not. Alternative facts, fake news. I've seen recently read of a website where people are putting forward the fake news that there's a link between the COVID vaccine and child hepatitis when in fact all the children that they're considering were far too young to have had any vaccines anyway. So it's fake news, but yet they're pushing that forward as, as truth. And of course we've seen all these reports from Russia about the special military operations that they report to their people, which seems so at odds with the wars, the devastating war that we see on our screens. Who's doing that? Who's pushing that story? But can we as Christians become a little short-sighted or tunnel-visioned maybe? We can still forget that God is not what we make him. We can still apply preconceived ideas about faith and religion which limit our view of God and therefore we can miss out on something of who God really is. And it can come on so gradually that we don't realise that we're not fully lit, as it were. Like getting a new pair of glasses. I can remember being at infant school when I was about six. And the teacher would sit at the front of the class and hold up a picture and talk about it and ask questions about it. Yes, it was a long time ago we were reliant on pictures and things like that. I could never understand how the other children knew the answers to these questions. How did they know that that was a pig? Hens? What hens? I can't see hens. And it wasn't until I got my first pair of glasses that I understood what I'd been missing. I thought I could see, but I couldn't. And many people who get the cataracts treated say that they've forgotten how bright colours are because this kind of blindness creeps in on you, doesn't it? So what's the answer? How do we avoid spiritual short-sightedness? I may have mentioned before the boy in Sunday school who thought he'd got, got it worked out how to answer all his Sunday school teachers' questions correctly. So when she asked if they knew what was small, furry, red, and with a bushy tail, he said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus. <laughs> well, no, really, in this case, it must be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. It can only be Jesus. 
to go back again, time after time, to Jesus, the light of the world, in repentance and faith. To ask him to lead us constantly into light and to walk with him in his light. It's a journey of faith which isn't over until we meet him face to face in glory. So where are we on that journey? Shall we pray? Lord, we pray that you would lead us into your light, that you will banish the darkness of sin from our lives, that you will open our eyes so that we see Jesus. Bring us, Lord, from darkness to light, we pray. Amen.